0: Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, Ava, Bob, The West Bank Robbery Podcast, Jamie, Gary, Max, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Brian, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now, on to the show. Hey there, Parallaxes listeners. On this edition of the show, The Nation magazine's Jeet Hir joins us to discuss the Gaza War, the rise of the far right in both the United States and Israel, and his recent piece, on the Anti-Defamation League entitled, Why the Anti-Defamation League Loves Certain Bigots, which deals with ADL head honcho Jonathan Greenblatt's embrace of Elon Musk, despite Musk's recent anti-Semitic comments. That article also deals with the history of the ADL and the South African apartheid regime, and much, much more. So, with all that in mind, let's get right to it with The Nation Magazine's National Affairs Correspondent, cheat here. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm very, very happy to be speaking with she here, who writes for The Nation magazine and also hosts the podcast uh, "Time of Monsters." Uh, how are you doing?
1: Uh, um, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, all, yeah. all things World's considered, is, a, given <laughs> yeah, world is uh, in a dire street, but uh, I'm personally, uh, yeah, doing okay.
0: So I wanted to have you on to talk about your recent articles on uh, the ADL. Why the ADL? Uh, or the anti defamation League, loves certain bigots. And then also your article, Israel's ludicrous propaganda wins over the only audience that counts. Uh, But I want to start with, uh, what are your feelings on how things have developed since October 7th, and uh, some of the statements being made uh, both in Israel and by the White House uh, since the bombing campaign started?
1: Well, I I mean it's a pretty uh uh horrifying series of events. I mean, like you know, one should start by obviously saying, um, you know, the Hamas uh, a massacre was like a, a massive war crime, uh, you know, involving um the the murder of civilians and the uh, uh taking of hostages. Um, uh, but I mean, uh, the response of Israel, which the Biden administration has pretty much uh, supported. Um, all the way uh, has not been, uh, you know, like a war against Hamas. It has been a war against the civilian population uh, of Gaza. And I would add, a war against the civilian population of the West Bank. Um, so uh, even if one, you know, made the, you know, um, I think, you know, depraved decision that it's okay um, uh, to go after Gaza, um, I really don't understand. How you could say the same for the West Bank, where, you know, like Hamas is not a presence. Um, I I, I would even go further. Like if you're actually looking at what's been happening um, and who gets targeted, uh, there's been a real targeting of journalists, um, a targeting of hospitals and um, uh, medical institutions. um, uh, Universities um, uh, in Gaza was blown up. Uh, The uh, churches and mosques have been attacked. Um, and also very prominent writers uh, in Gaza and the West Bank have been arrested, prominent political figures who are not Hamas. What you're basically seeing is um, a decision uh, to uh, destroy the sort of political infrastructure um, of the Palestinians that include that is this, uh, includes the non-Hamas part. So I think that given this type of war, Um, you're actually not going to see Hamas being defeated. Uh, Hamas is like a guerrilla army that is uh, uh, integrated within the population of Gaza, uh, the way guerrilla armies often operate. Um, That's not really what's being targeted. Um, And, you know, to the extent that the, um, you know, non-hamas political actors um and political voices and journalistic and um uh Civic voices are silenced uh, or killed uh, that's only going to make Hamas stronger so uh, just as in terms of a military strategy like uh, it seems like uh, uh leaving all morality aside it seems counterproductive uh and when as he sees a lot of the, hears a lot of this from um government officials who are leaking, like both Biden administration in the State Department, the Pentagon, and also in NATO, um, including like um Holland. The uh we got a report from um a leak report from the uh, um Dutch mission. And the note that all of these leaks strike over and over again is there is no strategy. there is no end game. This is a strictly a war of revenge um uh which is you know targeting civilians. And like having said you know, like if that's the case, uh then there is no end game. And, and one is struck by like, you know, like a war that like makes no sense on any like either moral or strategic uh terms
0: real quick, I wanted to add to that uh so we had, White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby come out and say, Israel is not trying to wipe the Palestinian people off the map. Israel is not trying to wipe Gaza off the map. Israel is trying to defend itself against a genocidal terrorist threat. So if we're going to start using that word, fine, let's use it appropriately. Now, I don't want to get into the debate about, is this genocide? Is it just war crimes? Is it you know, But we do have a number of officials in Israel, uh, including... Isaac Herzog saying there are no innocents. We just had Yir Lapid say, uh, you know, the vast majority of all those killed so far were terrorists. You know, they weren't civilians, uh, although he did say there, there were civilian casualties amongst them, but most of them were terrorists. And then we had uh, Benjamin Netanyahu invoking the biblical story of Amalek. Um, to me, whether or not we can call this genocide yet, I do think the rhetoric uh, that we hear from some Israeli officials is very concerning. And I feel like uh, John Kirby is yeah. ignoring that.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, like uh, many of the top uh, genocide scholars um, in the United States and in the, around the world have said, you know, um, basically what we have is a genocidal intent. The statements coming out of Israeli officials, like, do indicate an intent to commit genocide. Whether, you know, I mean, to me it's a... It's a uh, seems like a semantic question as to whether this is genocide or not. If you have the intent and you're carrying out the policy, do we wait until there's a legal decision that this is genocide or do you stop it? Like if, if someone is saying, um, you know, puts out a manifesto saying, you know, I'm going to kill... um. Uh, uh the black people in buffalo new york uh uh do we like decide at some point is he actually going to kill all of them or just the people he finds in the shopping mall it doesn't matter like if that is the intent you like try to put a stop to that like it doesn't matter if like the full uh, agenda is carried out or not um yeah no absolutely i um um uh i, I mean uh the uh, uh the statements coming out of israeli officials are very concerning. And I have to say, I mean, like it is very noticeable. There's a huge disconnect between what the um, Joe Biden is saying and what the Israeli officials are saying. I mean, Biden is basically saying we're doing this for a two state solution and there will be like, we'll we'll have reconstruction uh, of Gaza afterwards. And like, that all seems like a complete fantasy land because we're hearing none of that from Israeli officials um in terms of their rhetoric and we're seeing none of that in terms of their actions. So yeah, I just uh, um it's it, it is a very dire sort of situation
0: before getting into the uh, anti-defamation league, you know, the question I see people get asked a lot. I was just watching um Joanne Reed had a had a debate between Peter Beinert and uh, another figure. and uh you know, the question came up of, well, what are they supposed to do instead? What should Israel do instead of this bombing campaign? Uh, I want to give you a chance to maybe respond to that because I think there's this idea that you know, oh, all they can do is an indiscriminate bombing campaign, and I don't think that's the case.
1: Well, I mean that that is a very interesting sort of question. Um, as I said, what Hamas is is an insurgency, um, and I-, I I think that. There's a couple of points to make there. Uh one is the sort of the status of Gaza itself. Like, you know, Gaza is not like a separate state. This is not the case of like France fighting Germany with one state against another. Um uh Gaza uh is a territory that's under siege. Um, it has been under siege. Um, it was previously occupied by the Israelis for a long period of time. Um uh, uh and then um uh, they withdrew the formal occupation, but it was still under siege in the sense that uh Israel controlled the borders and uh, along with their uh, de facto ally Egypt. So nothing gets in and out of Gaza um uh, without um, Israel, and it also applies like to the internal structure. I mean, it's not the case that like Hamas can like collect taxes, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like anything, any sub- uh, governmental infrastructure in gaza comes from outside funding um including you know outside funding from israel like like the um uh and we you know one has uh comments made by benjamin netanyahu that um you know giving uh, money to hamas which they encourage their you know de facto allies the qataris to do uh which they seem so israel has done itself um was just a part of a divide and rule campaign um uh, that is to say that they like to have Hamas in charge of Gaza uh, because it makes the Palestinians um, uh, uh, fragmented. It, it uh, prevents the uh, unification of Palestinian leadership uh, under um, the Palestinian Authority. So in terms of what they're supposed to do, like I think the first thing that they should have done is not support Hamas. Right, <laughs> like, and 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 that, that this whole divide and rule uh, tactic um, has led to disaster. It has led to disaster for the people of Gaza, and has led to disaster to people of Israel um, uh, with the massacre. Uh, and I have to say, like as I indicated before, I think what they're actually doing, the way they're fighting the war now, is not a break from the divide and rule conquer, uh tactic. It is a continuity with the divide and rule tactic. So. The first thing that they have to do is not try to um, uh, uh, weaken Palestinian civil society and Palestinian voices, non-Hamas voices, not try to weaken, as they constantly try to do, the Palestinian Authority. Um, That is one thing. The second thing is traditionally counterinsurgency. In the cases where it has been successful, as in the Philippines, as in Malaysia, Um, As in uh, Punjab in India in the 1990s uh, with the Kalistani separatists, you have a strategy of trying to separate out the um, uh, guerrilla forces from the main part of the population. uh, And then you also offer political solutions and political pathways to the civilian population so that they are not tempted to support and join the guerrillas. Um, the successful counterinsurgencies in history have always involved uh, political solutions and I, I would also mention uh the British with the um uh uh, um, uh Irish nationalism uh in the north of Ireland that is a, if you offer a political solution um that that is the way to weaken uh an insurgency they are not doing that they're doing the opposite of that
0: so it, uh, it, potentially they're creating further radicals in the future because there's going to be course. kids if they survive what's happening in Gaza right now. And I've seen the video of these kids that are saying, you know, Israel is bombing us. They could grow up to be radicalized later on.
1: Almost certainly they will be unless there is a political solution. That is absolutely the, the, the case. Um, and, you know, like, you know, I It is very hard to um, defeat an insurgency of this kind, uh, but the only solution is a political one. Um, uh, And, you know, we've seen this time and again. And, you know, like for American listeners, I I will point to, you know, their own experiences in terms of both the Vietnam War um, and the war in Afghanistan and in the war in Iraq. Um, Like in all cases, the actual strategy that the United States um, furthered only radicalized people created more terrorism you know in the case of iraq you know led to the creation of isis um and to the extent that there was you know in two of those cases iraq i mean afghanistan and in vietnam the united states lost because they had so um undermined any sort of um uh, civilian voice uh that the um uh, their most radical opponents uh, 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 gained the upper hand and and gained the the uh, support of the population. In Iraq, it's a little bit different. But what happened was that there was, you know, to the extent that the surge worked, or at least America was able to have, you know, relatively peaceful withdrawal without, you know, I have to say, without victory. Um, it was because they conceded the political ground. They, you know, they made um uh, peace. Uh, with the sort of uh, uh, both the Shiite uh, majority and the Sunni. They brought in uh, uh, former insurgents into the government. And from the point of the United States, that was a very unsatisfactory uh, outcome because uh, basically what you have now in Iraq is a government that's very hostile to the United States. It is actually, you know, like supporting the Palestinians now. But, But you actually was able to get like um, a peaceful outcome of, uh, you know, like an American uh, uh, withdrawal um, and a sort of secession of hostilities. So unless there is actually a political solution, um, you know, this is just going to continue in one form or another uh,
0: forever. I hope this question isn't uh, too out of left field, but one thing I wanted to cover with you was you've you've covered a lot, uh, things like the John Birch Society and the influence of the far right on Trumpism do you see any parallels between the far right in America and then the Israeli far right that has developed over time mm-hmm. uh, with figures like Itamar ben and Bezalel Smotrich uh, and just the Likud party in general? Um, it, it seems like there's a far right in Israel that uh, sort of has its pincers into society there now. I don't want to say there isn't any Israeli leftists. There obviously are, because we see the the hostage family protests. Uh, But is there parallels to be made between the Israeli far right and the U.S. far right?
1: Yeah, no, I think there are uh, parallels. Although I have to say, like in Israel, it's gone much further than the United States. And um, I think that the way to understand this is that if you have a sort of uh, militarized nation, that creates an opening uh for the far right, uh, because mainstream society has given sanction to um extremist sentiments as uh, a possible solution. So the United States, I mean, obviously there's been like a, a far right for a long time in terms of the racist right, but the um the people you're talking about, the birchers, it's really a product of the Cold War. And to understand this, you have to understand that there's a great deal of kind of like liberal complicity. And that, um, you know, the, the Cold War project was a liberal, you know, there's liberal cold warriors like Harry Truman and John Kennedy. And they, to get popular support for American foreign policy, created apocalyptic scenarios where he said, you know, if we don't do this, the dominoes are going to fall, the communists are going to take over. And that created a political space for something like the John Birch Society to say, you know, well, we agree with that, you know, like we're life and death struggle and we have to go, um, but but these guys aren't fighting the war right why are they fighting limited wars in Korea and Vietnam why don't we just bomb uh the Kremlin you know as uh uh Barry Goldwater famously said 64 you know he, he would throw a, a grenade into the men's room of the Kremlin uh I, or you know Curtis LeMay, like let's bomb him back to the Stone Age uh so um a militarized society creates an opening to uh, the far right in Israel, one sees the same thing. you know, you did have a tradition of uh, a very strong left at one point uh that was actually you know the the labor socialism governed the country. but as you had the occupation, as you had you know military rule um uh, which was supported by you know these um uh, uh uh labor Zionists, socialist Zionists, you know like they 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 were part of the project. they the the original settlements were built by the Labour Party in Israel, um, that created a space where, you know, the the more hardcore elements could say, yeah, we agree with you, you know, you have to have uh, a security state where we're fighting an ex- existential war. And by the way, you're too weak to fight it properly. We'll fight it the right way. Uh, so so in both cases, the militarization of society uh, by left liberal forces creates an opening for the far right.
0: And I just want to add to that, this is not like necessarily... um you know, new development, it's gotten worse now. But, you know, we have to remember uh, Yigel Amir, uh, the assassin of Yitzhak Rabin, was, you know, a far right uh, activist. So, I mean, yeah, this has no, had a foothold. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, no, I absolutely, that's absolutely the case. I, I, I was in um, uh, Israel about 20 years ago, and I saw, you know, people who had bumper stickers and posters uh, cel- celebrating, uh, Amir, celebrating the assassin of Rabin. So if you would imagine a society where, you know, let's say people were having bumper stickers saying, you know, like Oswald did a great thing, <laughs> that would maybe give you an indication uh, uh, of what sort of political reality we're dealing with. Um, uh, and I have to say, I mean, like what one saw in Israel um is the sort of contradictions between liberalism and nationalism that you had, you know, liberal Zionism, but eventually the Zionism ate up the liberalism. Ah, uh, that the uh, the imperatives of ruling over the Palestinians, of having this kind of security state, uh, and having the kind of repressions that come with it, undermined any sort of liberalism. So while I agree, I mean, I'm mean, they're very brave people in Israel, very brave Israelis who have uh spoken out against the war, um, have spoken up uh for Palestinian human rights uh for many decades. Uh they're there, but you know, like it's it's a relatively small part of the population. And the political space gets ceded um uh to the far right, including people who assassinate, you know, like uh Israeli politicians, uh and I'll mention with that assassination, like before it happened, like, you know, like Benjamin Netanyahu was kind of cheering on the um, uh, all of the people who were talking about uh, killing Rabin. So this, yeah, there's, this, there was right, incitement. Is, there was incitement. incitement.
0: Mm-hmm. And not, not only that, if I could real quick, I mean, Itamar ben Gvir was around back then. And, you know, I mean, a few weeks before uh, Rabin's assassination, he, he staged a thing where he got near Rabin's car and he said, we can get near your car. We can get to you next. I mean, and now this guy is the you know the uh national security minister so yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. that's right that's it right. and I believe I don't know if it was him or there's another member of uh that, yeah whose cabinet but they actually had a poster on the wall celebrating you know like uh, Barack um,
0: Goldstein the, yeah, the yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, mass murderer terrorist yeah yeah that yeah, was, was uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was Ben Gieber yeah.
1: yeah yeah Ben Gieber had a you know like celebrating a man who you know went into a, an Israeli who went into a mosque and shot and murdered in cold blood. Um, I forget the exact numbers, but he killed uh, you know, a lot of Palestinians like uh, in an outright act of murder. And you, know, you have a cabinet minister that celebrates that. Like, that's just amazing.
0: So before we start wrapping up, um, and if we could go a few minutes longer, I really want to discuss this ADL piece that you wrote. Sure, sure. Uh, so what is happening with the ADL? We just saw uh, you know, Elon Musk re-promoting the Great Replacement theory, not only promoting that, but saying, yeah, it's it's the Jewish uh, money behind it. <laughs> and you know, after saying that, Jonathan Greenblatt of the ADL, uh, said, you know, this is wrong. But a day later, Elon Musk says, uh, no more using the word decolonization on X or Twitter or whatever it's being called these days. Uh, no more talk of from the river to the sea. And Greenblatt says. This is a step in the right direction, you know. And he's he's cozied up to Musk before, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, they have a curious kind of relationship because I mean, Musk uh, does incite against um, uh, Jews, as he also incites against uh, 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 black people and trans people. Uh, and the ADL, which is like you know, its its the mission is to fight anti-Semitism and other forms of racism. Um, uh, you know, has. Um, uh, been praised before. Uh, has praised Musk. I mean, at one point, Greenblatt, um, the head of the ADL, said, you know, well, he's the Henry Ford of our time. Uh, That's very so, ironic. <laughs> very ironic. He meant that as praise, which is like crazy because, uh, as we all know, Henry Ford was a, a terrible anti semite and then fascist fellow traveler. Uh, But but, I mean, one thing that this dance is going on is that um, uh, Musk has incited against the ADL. He has supported the kind of um, uh, neo-Nazis who hate the ADL because they do, as part of their work, uh, document um, uh, 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 racism and anti-Semitism. But, you know, when push comes to shove, if Musk supports Israel, then, then Greenblatt is more than willing to work with Musk and even praise Musk. Um, and, you know, um, and, um, there's been some reporting on this, uh, um, after my column came out, which makes it clear that, you know, like Greenblatt has basically said, yeah, this is the kind of, you know, bargain that the, the, you know, like, um, uh, if he's willing to suppress, um, uh, uh, pro-Palestinian speech, you know, including like just the word decolonization, you know, you know, that's worth it for us. Um, uh, now people say, well, what's going on with that? And my column was basically about, well, this is actually not anything new. Um, There's a history of this. And, you know, like the ADL was support. you know, started in like 1913, after the uh, uh wrongful arrest and eventual lynching of a Jewish man, um, you know, a very strong anti-racist uh and organization uh was involved with you know uh fighting Brown versus Board of Education, uh was very critical of things like the John Boris Society. Uh but in the 1960s, um once the um uh, Israel took over the occupied territories after the uh Six-Day War in 1967. Um, Israel started to become increasingly criticized by people, liberals and leftists, um, and in the, initially it was a, even like a very small amount of criticism. But the this reoriented the ADL, as it did many other mainstream Jewish organizations, to start seeing the left as the enemy. Um, and seeing the left as the enemy, um, they increasingly, you know, started to make alliances. Uh, with people on the sort of far right, um, including people who are like, you know, racist and anti-Semites. Um, I think listeners might remember this uh, March for Israel that happened in Washington um, uh, recently. And one of the featured speakers there was John he- 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 he, um, who's like this um, apocalyptic Christian preacher uh, who said many anti-Semitic things, including that, you know, Hitler was part Jewish and the Antichrist will be uh, part Jewish. And whose theology is basically that it's necessary to support Israel because that is the precondition for the um, Armageddon, the final war between good and evil, the um, uh, destruction of the world, the return of Jesus Christ, the mass conversion of the Jews, and um, the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, And, you know, like this uh, figure who's like, you know, obviously a demented anti-Semite was speaking, was invited a featured speaker and cheered on at this march for israel um and th- that really basically shows you as does the musk business uh you know like if you are pro israel that's a get out of free card like you that means that you can be anti-semitic as you want to be in other ways it can be as racist as you want to be um groups like the uh, adl and groups like the uh the mainstream groups that organized the march for israel uh, will you know? Say you, you, you are you are our ally. Um, uh, so, and I mean, I think one of the biggest examples of that is when I go into my in my column, um, which is that you know, starting in the nineteen seventies, Israel it up to apartheid South Africa, invited the you know former Nazi head of South Africa, uh, uh, to Israel, uh, showed him the Wailing Wall, um, had these all these covert agreements to share weapons nuclear secrets and intelligence and the ADL in um uh starting in the 1980s um went along with that they condemned uh the um, African National Council and Mandela in the strongest terms as being sort of like terrorist uh totalitarian uh anti-white and um one of the researchers at the ADL um uh a fellow named Roy Bullock, a longtime employee starting 1960. but in the 1980s he worked with his um he had assets in the uh, police agencies and in the FBI who were providing him with information. Uh, and they uh, collected uh files on you know like um uh more than like 10,000 Americans and more than 900 groups. These were like um anti-racist groups, anti-apartheid groups, um uh pro-Palestinian groups, uh mainstream Arab groups. Uh and you know they collected this information and they shared it with the intelligence agencies in South Africa. Uh so this is something you so know. So Bullock, ha-
0: Bullock was working for the ADL while he was giving this information to South Africa. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, he was working. Uh, uh uh and uh, i mean it was beyond that i didn't even go into this in my column but you know he was working with um a uh, police officer uh, uh san francisco um uh, uh police intelligence officer named tom gerard um and they were uh, uh, uh there was another uh uh adl fellow and these were all like you know they weren't necessarily full-time employees but they were like basically assets they were given money by the ADL and were kind of like on their payroll. They were, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, and one of the things that they did, this is how this whole thing came out, Uh, was that Bullock, uh, Gerard, uh, and this other fellow, um, they were envious of an employee at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, a fellow researcher for this um, uh, Jewish organization, and they wanted uh, that guy out his job. So they concocted a scheme to basically have him killed, which is that this this uh, fellow at the uh, Simon Wiesenthal Center um, uh, was infiltrating neo-Nazi groups. And they were going to share the information that they had uh, on this uh, uh, Simon Wiesenthal uh, individual, share it with like, the neo-Nazis with the view of getting him killed so that uh, whoa, they could apply for the job there. Um, at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, uh, uh, which is like an amazing thing. And they were using police intelligence to do it. And the FBI found out about this and it investigated them. Um, it was just an amazing turn of events. And what's even more <laughs> amazing is that um, this Tom Gerard fellow, he gave an interview with the Los Angeles Times where he basically indicated that he had all sorts of information on the CIA that the CIA would not want because he had been involved with death squads in Central America. And that they better, um, uh, you know, leave him alone. And eventually, you know, there's a, all of this was investigated, all this information out there, uh, but, but the case was dropped because, you know, um, these guys had too much um, information that uh, the powers that be did not want out there.
0: If you could, could you speak briefly about um, Mark Ames's reporting on the ADL, uh, and some of the things he found, because you reference it a bit in the article.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, no, this is um, in the Pacific Standard. Um, maybe you can include in the show notes uh, the link because it's a great article. Uh, and Mark Ames was one of the people that was investigating. This actually shows you. He'd actually been at Berkeley as a student, uh, college Republican. Uh, but he's like a moderate Republican. He was a 1980s. He went to a few marches against apartheid. And he also worked for a left wing um, uh, bookstore. And then when all this came out and uh, the San Francisco uh, city government got all the files that the ADL had, they started to contact people. And so uh, Mark Ames got a note Showing his police file, uh, his ADL file, sorry, uh, and it was like a complete record of all his political activity. So you know, this guy was just a college student, was a college Republican. They had a long file on him, um, uh, and you know, he talks about in this, he goes into all the stuff I said about uh, how Roy Bullock, uh, you know, worked for the ADL, hooked up with um a police detective named Tom Gerard. Um, uh, and they were up to like all sorts of really nasty shenanigans. Gerard himself is a, you know, uh, you know, he's a character, um, out of an Elmer Leonard novel or something like, like he, uh, you know, he was involved with, um, a lot of really nasty, uh, business in, in, uh, Central America, uh, working with death squads. Um, and yeah, I, they. Uh, you know, they, they collect a lot of information. One of the things that he brings out, um, he mentions is the famous case of um, 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 these uh, uh, the Los Angeles seven, um, who were um, these uh, uh, I, let me just uh, yeah, uh, um, oh, so, 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 sorry, the um, Los Angeles eight.
0: Uh, Right, they they were uh, seven Palestinian.
1: Yeah, yeah, seven Palestinian men, one Kenyan woman. They were falsely accused of supporting terrorism. Uh, This accusation was based on uh, information given to the police by the ADL. Uh, They went through this long court case, which lasted 20 years, from 1987 to 2007. Uh, And they were exonerated, and the judge said that... (laughs) Uh, dismissed all the charges and denounced the case as quote a festering wound on the body of respondents and an embarrassment to the rule of law um and there was something that the ADL had basically you know uh their agents had basically created this huge travesty on Justice uh so um this uh I I mean yeah the, the, you know uh, uh Amos and um uh you know using reporting you know, that was done at the time by the L.A. Times and the Village Voice, you know, really really documents um, uh, all the really sinister anti-democratic things. And and the thing I would add is, um, you know, like none of this has really ended. Uh, The ADL um, continues to work with a program that's currently involved with spying on pro palestinian student activists um, in uh, the United States. Uh, you know, and he's like, who knows? Um, uh, one of my colleagues at the nation uh wrote about this. Uh, we, uh hopefully we can include that link as well. Jim Banford, uh, he was just on my yeah, show, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jim Banford, great investigative reporter. Uh, and it's a great piece. Um, so you know, like this is very sinister stuff. Um, and one of the things that Mark Amos does, he quotes from this article from another great reporter, Chip Rillette, one of the major reporters who has investigated the far right in America. And, you know, in the 80s, Burlet met up with an ADL um, researcher, uh, a lead guy at the ADL, and, you know, was hoping to share information on Lyndon LaRouche, who Chip Burlette was investigating. And the investigator, uh, you know, started the discussion by, like, reading out the file they had on Burlet. They had a long dossier about all his political activism, you know, indicating that they had been spying on Burlette. Uh, And then the uh, um, activist, uh, the ADL um, uh, researcher said, the right wing isn't the problem. The left wing is the problem. The Soviet Union is the biggest problem in the world for Jews. It's the American left that is the biggest threat to American Jews. You're on the wrong track. You're part of the problem. Um, and I think that that was the ideology of the ADL in the 80s. And I think that remains the ideology of the ADL now that the left wing is a problem and they will like literally make deals with the worst people in the world. You know, the Elon Musks of the world and other groups will make deals with the John Hagees of the world um, in order to defeat uh, pro palestinian activism. And I-, I just think that's morally depraved. Um the basic terms of this bargain are: they'll tolerate any amount of anti-Semitism against Jews in the diaspora um, in order to thwart um, uh, a Palestinian uh, representation, Palestinian voices, and really the creation of a, a two-state solution. The, the, this is this is the sort of politics that they're pursuing.
0: I just want to add to that and we'll close out. Uh, I wanted to say, first off, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Trip Burlett because he's one of the great researchers of anti-fascism and sort of anti-far-right research. Political research associates is a cornerstone when it came to that research. Um, uh, just closing out here, in the past few weeks, we've seen ADL researcher Stephen Rea quit uh, after the Gaza War and Greenblatt's handling of uh The Jewish left, you know, Greenblatt has said groups like Jewish Voice for Peace are the mere inverse of white supremacy and saying they're, you know, um, contributing to anti-Semitism. So we had Stephen Ray, a researcher at the ADL, quit over that. That was reported in the Jewish Daily Forward by Arno Rosenfeld and Beth Harpaz, uh, October 19th, 2023. And we also had uh, the Jewish Forward recently with an opinion column. Uh, I am an ADL advisory board member. The CEO's tweet, appeasing Elon Musk is dangerous. And that was by Peter Fox, who, you know, again, ADL advisory board member. Uh, do you think there's going to be a shakeup in the ADL potentially?
1: Yeah, no, I think there's a rift. And I should mention the ADL does a lot of good work um, investigating genuine anti-Semitism. Uh, there's a lot of good people there, you know, like um. Uh, myself and other reporters rely on their research. Ah, uh, so I, I think there's a lot of tension in the ADL. I don't know, like if there's a shakeup or not. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of there's a reason why Greenblatt is pursuing the the path he has. I think that the um a lot of the donors uh to the ADL basically agree with him. Um, so I'm not optimistic on that front. I actually think that um ah uh, you know. As far as we can tell, uh, the sort of course that he's pursued is the course um, that the powerful people in the organization want. Uh, the par- uh, and that this has been a course that they've pursued, not just now, but really have pursued since the, the late 1960s. So you know, this has been a long-running thing.
0: I just want to read the uh, quote that was on X. So this, I guess, the the figure was a uh, breaking bot. Uh, tweeted, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites. They claim to want people to stop using against them. I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest shit now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing realization that those hordes of minorities that support flooding their country don't exactly like them too much. What a horrifying tweet. And then the Elon Musk response was, you have said the actual truth. And this is, I just want to, I wanted to read that because this is what Greenblatt is is sort of ignoring, and it's very disturbing to me. Uh, any closing thoughts, G?
1: Well, um, no, I mean, I think that that quote says it all. I mean, that that is like literally the sort of Nazi ideology. One sees in Mein Kampf Hitler saying the same things, that the Jews... Are bringing in blacks into Germany, you know, in the 1920s to dilute the white race. This is the the ideology of sort of uh, Judeo Bolshevism. This is, you know, like what Nazis believe is happening. Um, and uh, yeah, the ADL is, uh, you know, willing to just tut tut that and say, yeah, that's that's very naughty of you, Elon Musk. Uh, but Musk is still a good guy. Um, uh, you know, and you know. As Greenwald said, he's the Henry Ford of our time, uh, which makes me think that, you know, like if Henry Ford had continued to live, um, you know, and started to support Israel, uh, the ADL would have forgiven all his anti-Semitism, all his promotion of the um, uh, protocols of the elders of Zion, all his um, uh, collaboration with the Nazi regime. That would have all been forgiven because he's on the right side of Israel as they
0: see it. Real quick, too, do you think that people are missing – I keep seeing people say, and I think this is a dumb thing, but we should address it, is people will say to me, well, how can he be an anti-Semite, Elon Musk, if he's supporting Israel? And to me, I just think – you know, I think there is such a thing as anti-Semitic Zionists, and it makes a lot of sense because I think there are anti-Semites say, yeah, I I want Hmm. all the Jewish people to move to Israel. I don't want to deal with them anymore. I don't think it's incompatible.
1: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this has been a long-running thing that a lot of the Western allies of Zionism have been anti-Semites. Going back to you know Balfour, of the famous Balfour Declaration, if you look at his rationale, like his uh, uh, the whole thing was he didn't want the Jews in England, right? So, so, so like, uh, you know, like sending them to Israel, uh, the, the, what, what would become Israel, sending them to, you know, um, uh, uh, Palestine uh, was a smart move. Uh, so, yeah, it's absolutely totally compatible and one sees this a lot so yeah it's not uh not a question
0: how can my listeners keep up with your work jeet and uh, can you tell them a little bit about your podcast
1: Sure, yeah, yeah. I'm on uh, uh, The Nation, um, and uh, everything is available there. All my columns and also the weekly podcast, which is also available on Apple and all the other podcasting um, platforms, uh, Time of Monsters, and yeah, it's, it's a podcast that talks about politics uh, just the way we've been doing here.
0: Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do, At Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon. It is you, the listener, that helps keep this show going. I have one, count them, one advertiser, the mighty Mike Swanson of Wall Street Window. But otherwise, this show is entirely listener funded. And you are the folks, the kind folks, I should add, that make this show possible. So, patreon.com slash parallaxviews, patreon.com slash parallaxviews, please consider making a monthly donation. And with that being said... Until next time... You've been listening to Parallax Views with J.J. Michael. To Parallax Views with J.J. Michael. The way out is not simply to say, don't do it, just to prohibit If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like So, You know, we have to confront the problem.